Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. Hello there. Hey, there we go. I heard a couple people get that. Hey, Block KC, how we doing tonight? Come on, make some noise. Let's, let's get some energy. Guys, it is Star Wars Day, National Star Wars Day. We get to celebrate two of my favorite minor holidays together this year, Groundhog Day and National Star Wars Day. So that is just a highlight of my year, uh, which sounds like I have not had some big highlights. Uh, it's been a good year. We'll say that. But we are so glad that you guys are here. Like Charlie said, we're starting off a new series. My name is Nick Swearingen. I'm one of the co-directors of the Block KC here. Uh, We are glad to be starting off our Jesus' Greatest Hits series. We are going to be looking at a collection of some of the most famous miracles that Jesus performed while he was here on earth. And there might be some of you here in the room tonight, and you're coming in, and you've been walking with Christ for some time, but you haven't yet discovered these classics from the Bible. And there might be some of you guys who are here tonight, and you grew up around God's Word. Maybe you grew up going to church. And my hope is that you would be able to see these stories with fresh eyes, and not just know what happens in the stories, but the deeper truths that are taught from Jesus' miracles. And maybe you're here tonight and someone from work dragged you here and you have no clue why you even came and you don't even know, like, what's going on right now. First of all, we want to say welcome. We are very happy that you are here and we love that you have come and and visited and chose to spend your Thursday night with us. Uh, But my hope more than anything is that through looking at the life of Jesus, you would just get to see the wonder and glory that is Jesus Christ. And I really believe that God is going to meet everyone, uh, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, Here tonight and over these next four weeks as we look at the series of Jesus' greatest hits, our our hope is that when you see these truths, you would never be able to unsee them. And every single time you think of these stories, you would be reminded of the message of God's word to you and that they would become some of your favorite parts of God's word as well. And the first of these stories or greatest hits that we're looking at is the feeding of the 5,000. And if you grew up around church, again, you might be familiar with this story. Jesus, he takes some bread and some fish and uses it to feed a bunch of people until they're satisfied. All right, go home. Just kidding. We're going to go more in depth. We're going to go in depth in the actual events of the story because there's so much more to unpack there. We're going to go more in depth in the truth that's underneath these stories that Jesus was trying to demonstrate as he was performing this miracle. And I want to set this up on the front end because tonight we're going to be talking about what it means to be satisfied. In the 1980s, there was a candy bar that really latched onto this idea of satisfied. Does anyone know what it is? Snickers. Thank you. Uh, The slogan is Snickers satisfies. In fact, I've got a couple Snickers bars right here. Uh, If you look at this at first glance, you might think it says Snickers. It does not even say Snickers on the front of the candy bar. It just says satisfies. Anyone want a Snickers right now? No peanut allergies. All right. There we go. Oh, hey. Uh, Who else wants a Snickers? There we go. Right there in the back. Man, I got surgery two weeks ago. I probably shouldn't be doing this. Anyone else want one? 
All right, let's see here. Let's see. Let's get someone over there. All right. Lefty. Hey, not bad. All right, Snickers. Hey, they're some of my favorite candies. I actually don't have a huge sweet tooth, but when I do, a lot of times I want Snickers. Uh, but the interesting thing to me is that Snickers has this slogan, and they say that because they have peanuts in them, like it makes it more filling. And they're like, because it, it's got this extra ingredient, like when you're hungry, that's what you need to eat is a candy bar. Now, most of us know when you're hungry, you don't eat a candy bar. Like you get a meal. A candy bar is no replacement for that. And in fact, most people in the world probably know that Snickers is no real meal replacement, except for one of my very, very good friends. His name is Nathan. He was my coworker for about five years. And Nathan was a great coworker. He was a great friend. He was very good with details and organization. But he had one fatal flaw. He never ate breakfast. Do I have any no breakfasters in here? All right, y'all crazy. Genuinely, I don't understand people who don't eat breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day for a reason. And you can come up and, and debate that with me later. But I'll admit, normally no breakfast would not be a big deal, except for in our job, sometimes we would not eat lunch until 3 or 4 in the afternoon. So you can imagine that we get up and we're, we're going around, and especially if we're going to see clients or going to see vendors, Nathan would get really hungry on the way to these trips. And he would start to, you know, lack energy, and he would start to just kind of slouch over in the seat. And so we would stop, and we would pull over a convenience store or a gas station, and he would walk up, and he would look in the candy bar aisle. Like, that's was his go-to, and he hasn't eaten anything all day. And he looked at me, and he's like, hey, Nick, you studied microbiology. Which one of these is the best for me? I was like, first of all, I studied microbiology. <laughs> like, I... That doesn't have to do with anything with dietetics at all. And secondly, I'm like, bro, you don't need, he's like Snickers, right? Like, because that satisfies. I'm like, man, you, re you really believe that. You really bought into this slogan. And sure enough, most of the time, Nathan would start eating breakfast, but it would be a Snickers at 11 o'clock. Like 11 a.m., breakfast, Snickers, that was his go-to. And I remember thinking, dude, what are you doing? Like, you need to eat some breakfast. But the truth is, Nathan wanted Snickers because he was looking for satisfaction. He was looking for something to fill him up and tide him over until his next meal. And the reason that this is important is because every single person in this room is looking for satisfaction. Fulfillment, fullness of life, in some way, shape, or form, that is what every single one of us here tonight are looking for. And whether we can put our finger on it or not, we all want to be satisfied. But my concern is that so few of us are actually living a satisfied life. My concern is that a lot of us, maybe when you even came in the room tonight, you feel like you're running on empty. And you came in the room and you've just got so much going on and you feel stressed at work, right? You feel drained and you're just thinking, man, I can't wait until summer. If summer can just get here, then I'll be satisfied. Maybe you're feeling isolated or alone and, and you're just, you're looking for friendship and you're looking for relationships and you want to be satisfied. Maybe you even know that Jesus has promised to give us life and life to the full and you want that. You want to follow Jesus or you want to continue to follow Jesus, but you have not experienced that truth in a long time, if ever. 
that Jesus gives life to the full. And so wherever you are at in the room tonight, if you are looking for satisfaction and you feel like you're running on empty, just know I have been there too. In fact, last week I was in that spot. And regardless if you have heard this story 5,000 times or if you've never opened a Bible before, God wants to speak into this area of your life and bring you satisfaction. So let's pray and then we're going to take a look at the story together. Heavenly Father, I don't pretend to know where every single person in this room is coming from or what their week has been like or what their year has been like. God, but you know each one of our lives with intimate detail. And God, all of us are looking for satisfaction, God, that we can only find in you. And God, would you just reveal that from your truth tonight? God, would your word speak to us? God, would we have humble hearts to listen and open up? And God, would we see that you satisfy? And would we see how that we can continue to get this truth into our lives and live this out in a day-to-day way? And God, I pray that these words come not from me, God, but from you. God, I need you every single day. Would you show up here tonight in this room even now? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's actually found in all four Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you're not familiar. And it's actually the only miracle of Jesus, in addition to the resurrection, that's included in all four Gospels. So to say that God thinks that this story is a big deal would be an understatement. It's one of the few things that's actually recorded in all four of those books. And tonight we're going to be looking at the account of John... In John chapter 6, if you've got a Bible, you can feel free to turn there now. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one. But we're going to use the rest of the Gospels to add color to the narrative that's given to us in John 6 and kind of flesh out this story and bring it to life in the whole of what God's truth is to us in his word. So John 6, it starts off in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, before we go any farther than that, it's good practice. If you're reading the Bible and you see an after this, we want to know what happens before this passage. So it says after this, it means that there's a context to what's going on right now in God's word. And there's several key things that we need to know that Jesus has just been through. First, John the Baptist has just been put to death by King Herod. If you're not familiar, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And so Jesus has just lost a family member. And he's mourning the loss of his cousin. Another thing is that Jesus has just sent out his 12 followers. And he's been gone from them for some time. And he's trying to get some time of refreshment and relaxation and debrief just what was going on when he sent them out on this mission. And he's trying to get away and spend some time with his friends and his followers. Lastly, Jesus has just come from Jerusalem where he's been debating religious leaders. And for the first time, the religious leaders are seeking to put Jesus to death. So you can imagine Jesus coming into this time. He's just lost a family member. He's trying to get some time with his friends. And he has threats against his life. And so he and his friends, they get in a boat and they go across the Sea of Galilee. And they're trying to get away to the base of a mountain. They get to the base of this mountain. They get out of the boat. And that's the context of the story. That's the after this that we see right there in verse 1. And then verse 2 and 3 continues. It says, And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. 
So not only has all these other things happened, he's got crowds of sick people that are following him around. He's got crowds of his friends and family, or uh, crowds of the friends and family of these sick people that are just continually following them. And he's climbing a mountain to get away. Right? He's really trying to get out there. He's not just hanging out on the shore. He's really trying to make an effort to spend time with the guys that he's discipling. Verse 4 continues. It says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So on top of everything else going on, there is a holiday coming up. And it's arguably the biggest holiday of the Jewish people. The, the biggest holiday is about to happen. Verse 5 says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him. Now, let, let's take a moment, take a step back, and let's put ourselves in Jesus' shoes. Right? Jesus is fully God, but he is also fully man. Which means that Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. And so we, we have to put ourselves in his place. Imagine this. You have had a death in the family. right? You've just lost your cousin. You've just gotten this news. You've been away from your friends. You haven't seen them in some time. You're trying to spend some time with your friends. People have been trying to kill you because of your job. There are massive amounts of sick people that are pushing their way towards you to get healed. So you could just say work has been very stressful for Jesus. Luke says that it's near the end of the day, so we know that it's a long day of work. And on top of all that, Christmas is in a few days. It's not actually Christmas, but the Passover. It's in a few days. And you climb up on a mountain, like you are trying to get away, and you look, and a massive crowd of people are clamoring, clamoring their way up this mountain to get to you so that you can heal each and every single one of them. That is where Jesus is at right now. And honestly, y'all, if I'm Jesus, like, in this situation, I'm going to get up and I'm going to say, hey, go home. Like, y'all just leave me alone. Come back tomorrow. Come back next week. Let me get a break. Like, just give me some time. I'm probably going to, you know, book it up further up the mountain. I'm going to say, all right, guys, hey, they're still coming. We can outrun them. There's 12 of us, 13 of us, 5,000 of them. I think we can make it up the hill faster. So I'm going to try to book it. Jesus at one point had hidden himself from crowds. We don't really know how, but he had disappeared and made his way through a crowd when people were seeking his life. And I'm, I'm probably going to do something like that, right? If I'm in this situation, that is what I'm going to do. Because the stress of the situation, feeling tired, it would all be too much for me. All of those things put together would bring me way past my breaking point. But look at what Jesus does. Verse 5 continues, Jesus sees the crowd, and Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus' first thought when he sees the crowd is that of caring for their needs. He's not overwhelmed. He's not stressed. He's not even frustrated. He's concerned about the needs of others. And that brings us to our first truth from this story. Jesus understands our need to be satisfied. You know, being satisfied, it's a really tricky subject to talk about because satisfaction is as diverse as our needs are. For example, if we are sad, then to be satisfied is to be comforted and to have time to mourn. If we're stressed, then to be satisfied is to have rest and have something taken off our plates. If we're tired, then satisfaction is to be given energy or sleep 
or be replenished. If we're lonely, it's to have connection. If we lack, lack purpose, it's to be given direction. If we're hungry, it's to be made full. So satisfaction is a very diverse topic. And I don't, again, I don't know how you came in here tonight. Maybe you are grieving over a family situation. Maybe you're stressed and, and you feel the tension in your head and you, you feel like you're clenching your jaw all the time because you're just, you're so stressed and there's so much going on that you feel it physically in your body. Maybe you're lonely and you feel like, man, I just need some friends. I, I don't know what your need is, but Jesus knows your need and he understands you. In Matthew's telling, Matthew 14, we learned that when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. It says that Jesus had compassion on the crowd, and he has compassion on you and on me. The word for compassion in Greek is splagnesomai. That, that is my best attempt at it. What a fun word. Uh, but it means to be moved to one's bowels or to be moved to compassion. It's that you feel something in your gut when you see someone else hurting. Or when you feel someone else in pain, you feel it down here in your stomach. And the word is actually used 13 times in the New Testament. Every single time this word is used, every single time, it is either used as a direct description or as a metaphor for Jesus' love and compassion for us. Every single time. Y'all, God is a highly compassionate God. Do we know that? Do we know that God is actually a compassionate God in a way that changes how we see him? In a way that changes how we live? It's so, so important that we understand that Jesus understands our need to be satisfied. Why? Because the amount of care that you expect always dictates the amount of care that you seek. Here's an illustration of this. My mom is awesome. She's a nurse practitioner. Uh, it's great. My mom is arguably, in my mind, the best mom. Not even arguably in my mind. She is the best mom in my mind. She's my only mom. Uh, but she loves me and sacrifices for me so much. Uh, she is very intelligent. She helped me so much throughout school. She helped me discover my love of science and my interest in medicine. And she's a very easy resource that when I have a medical question, I know straight away I can call my mom and she's going to have some kind of answer that's going to lead me in the right path. So it's obvious that when I was a kid and I was feeling sick, who I went to, right? I went to my dad. I went to my dad. Why? Because my mom didn't think that my minor illnesses were a big deal. She's a nurse practitioner. She, she looks at me and she's like, Nick, you barely got a headache. Right, like that's not a big deal. She's dealing with women who have high-risk pregnancies all the time. She's like, you can go to school. She's like, here, take some ibuprofen, eat some food, hydrate, get on your way, go to school. And it's not that she didn't care, but the thing was, if I wanted compassion, I would go to my dad. And he would give me the food that I wanted, some comfort food. He would set me up to watch a show on the couch. He would let me stay home from school. And again, it's not that my mom did not care. She was just less sympathetic to my plight because my mom is basically invincible. I'm like, I never see my mom getting sick. But my dad, he took time to be with me because he understood what I was going through. 
See, when I was going through my growth spurt and my legs, uh, they would be on fire. I remember nightly because of the way that my bones were growing so quickly. And it just, I, I remember having this intense searing pain in my leg almost every single night during that time period. And my dad would come in the middle of the night and he would have a heating pad and a therapy gun and he would work out the pain in my legs. And he would do that because he had experienced the same thing when he was my age. And so he understood what it was like to be in that kind of pain. And so I knew that I could expect understanding from my dad. And the amount of care that I expected meant that any time that I was feeling sick, I would go and seek out my dad's help. And I would seek out my dad's compassion. Y'all, this is a great truth about God. God wants to help you, and he also shows you extreme compassion because he understands. He has lived a human life. He's got the best of both sides. He's God, and so he has the power to heal, and he has the experience of living as a human to sympathize with us. Jesus lived as a human, and so he understands what it's like to need satisfaction. He understands what it's like to be stressed. He understands what it's like to be lonely, to be even tempted. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace whenever we need help. What this is saying is that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. Now, he never gave in to these feelings of stress. He never gave in to the temptation of sin. But he understands what it's like to be human. And the question is, do we believe this? When you're feeling low, do you believe that God cares about you and wants you to confidently approach him? Because if you think he doesn't care, you won't ask. It matters so deeply how we see God. One theologian said, how you view God is the most important thing about you. Why? Because if you view God as a distant or harsh or impersonal or absent father, you'll never want to go for him to satisfaction. If you view him as, as a bad father, you will never want what he has. Because you'll think he won't care. But if you view God as a loving dad who cares about you and understands your pain, he will be your first choice every single time you need help. Every single time. And Jesus demonstrates this when he's worn down, when he's trying to get away. He sees the crowd of people coming towards him, and he responds with compassion. He doesn't send them away. But look what he says at John 6. This is what he does. This is what his compassion moves him to in action. He sees the crowd is hungry, right? He knows it's getting late in the day. It's dinner time. The other gospels, they tell us that Jesus' disciples, they come up to him and paraphrase, they say, hey, tell everyone to get going. Like, send them away to go buy bread. Just get them out of here so they can go find their own food. But there is an issue with this. The story says that there are 5,000 men, and in that day when you were counting crowds, you only counted men. So there were also women and children present. The gospel writers record this. Many Bible scholars estimate, listen to this, there were anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people. 10 to 20,000 people. And grocery stores don't exist. Fast food does not exist in this day. 
And so there is not an easy place for 20,000 people to go buy bread. There's nowhere that they can just go. They would take all of the food from a village for months in that day. And Jesus knows this. And so he tells his disciples, you give them something to eat. In fact, he asks Philip, he singles one guy out. How would you like to be this guy? Jesus says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip was apparently good at math, because then he says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Y'all, 200 denarii was 200 days wages. So that would be about $20,000 in today's money. Philip looks at this and he says, it would cost $20,000 just to minorly give each one of these people a couple crumbs to eat. The story continues, and Jesus says one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? At first, it looks good, right? Andrew's like, hey, we've got this, but like, what is this going to do? This is the guy who comes up with stupid ideas when you're hanging out, right? Like, he's not stupid, but he comes up with bad ideas. You all need food, right? And he's like, hey, I know it's not much, but... I've got a melty granola bar in my car. And you're like, bro, why would you even say that? Like, that's not even helpful. Why would you even think that that would have any kind of relevance to the situation? And, and barley loaves were eaten by the poor. So, you know, Andrew finds this poor kid and says, hey, we've got his lunch. We can take this. But what's this going to do? And you can imagine the disciples are freaking out. Right, Jesus has told them, you go find food for 20,000 people. And one guy, he's bringing up the numbers, and he's saying, it's going to cost us $20,000. And you're beginning to look at your wallets, and you're thinking, man, this, there's no way I can afford that. And this other guy is taking some poor kid's lunch, and you're like, bro, give him his food back. And they're distressed and concerned, and the one person not freaking out is Jesus. Jesus says, have the people sit down. He says, now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Again, y'all, remember, fresh eyes. We're looking at the story with fresh eyes. Imagine you are one of the disciples. Jesus has just gotten everyone seated, which already doesn't make sense because the line would be so much more efficient. You could line them all up. That's just, it would work faster. And they're sitting in groups of 50 to 100 people. And you see Jesus, he looks up to heaven and he blesses the food and prays. And he just starts tearing off pieces of bread and fish. And imagine you're the first guy and you've got this basket and he fills up your basket. And you take the food to the first group and you distribute it. And you're pretty sure when you turn around, there is not going to be any more food. Right? Because there were five loaves of bread and two fish. And you turn around and your 11 other buddies all have basketfuls of fish. And they're going out and they're distributing food to people. And so you slowly walk back up to Jesus. And he breaks off more pieces of bread, more pieces of fish. And he puts them in your basket and he sends you back out. You give everyone more than they want. You go back to Jesus. He sends you back out. You give to others. You go back to Jesus. Mark 6 says they all ate 
and we're satisfied. Verse 6 in John says that Jesus knew what he was going to do. He, he asked about the money. He had Andrew find this boy's lunch. He didn't need any of that. Jesus is human like we talked about, but he is also fully God. Jesus created the universe, being God the Son, part of the Trinity. Jesus created the very ground and the grass that they were seated on. He could create food out of thin air if he wanted to. And in fact, in the Bible, this is not even the first time that God has done this. For those of you that enjoy Bible history, about a thousand years before this, God multiplied food for a hundred men through the prophet Elijah, one of his messengers. Jesus is not concerned about the food. He's not concerned about where it's going to come from. So why does he ask his disciples? Why on earth, if he knew what he was going to do, would he say, you go find food for them? He wants them to learn that to find satisfaction, we need to sit down, wait, and trust Jesus to provide. Why do we need to learn this? Let me explain first through an illustration. This right here is a Rivian truck. In my opinion, they are one of the coolest electric vehicles. Uh, amazing features. They are electric, which I have here says they don't use gas. Thank you for that obvious note, Nick. Each tire is battery powered, so they actually move independently of each other somehow. Uh, it's got more storage space than conventional trucks. It's got a center speaker that you can remove and use as a Bluetooth speaker. I don't know why you need that, but I think it's really cool. Now, on top of all that, I like the design. I like that color a lot. It may not be for you. I like it, okay? So you might be asking, Nick, why don't you have one of these if you like them so much? Because they're $70,000. But why don't other people have them? Let's say that. Why don't more people have electric vehicles in general? Why are these not more common? There's a couple reasons, but most experts would say that the biggest one is actually range anxiety. Now, if you're not familiar, uh, range anxiety is this concern that a car is going to run out of charge before you're able to get to the next charging point. Now, get this. There are over 100,000 charging ports in the United States. So it seems like there should be enough. And yet some people are concerned that if they're on a long trip or if they're on a long day of driving, they don't want to get stuck on the side of the road. They don't want to have to rely and be dependent on these charging ports that can take up to 45 minutes or an hour to charge your vehicle. Because while there are over 100,000 charging ports, there are over 1.5 million gas pumps. And so driving a gas vehicle is just easier. It's less dependent. It's faster. People want autonomy, they want ease, and they want instant satisfaction. Y'all, as a culture, we do not like to be dependent. We are trained that independence is to be valued above all. We want autonomy. We want speed. We want instant gratification. We don't want to have to rely on Jesus to provide our satisfaction. We don't like to slow down. And this is not a new trait. The people in Jesus' day, they were the exact same way. They wanted to go, go, go. They wanted to have their own authority and power and provide their own satisfaction. They were looking for all these things. They wanted to meet their own needs. They were interested in getting what they wanted and getting what they wanted now. 
And so often we want to satisfy ourselves and trust Jesus to provide. Y'all, when you, when you think about the biggest hole in your life right now, when you think about the area that you want satisfaction in more than anything, I want to ask you, do you trust God to provide for that need? And, and again, it's not intellectual. It's not believing that God could. Or it's not knowing that he could. It's actually trusting him. Trusting Jesus to be satisfied means that we obey his commands and we wait for him to work. The Gospel of Matthew, it says that Jesus commanded the people to sit down on the grass, which is kind of a weird thing to do, right? Like, it's kind of weird to not just ask people to sit down. Why would you command people to sit down? Unless, could it be true that Jesus' commands to you and to me are to provide satisfaction for all of our needs? Could it be true that Jesus wants to change the way that we live our lives so that we can find life and life to the full? Absolutely. It is true. But then the question is, why don't I want to follow him more? Why so often do I try to choose to solve my own problems? Sometimes it's lack of focus. I just forget where the bread and the fish are coming from. And we get distracted by good things, and we get distracted by bad things. We get distracted by anything. And I forget to go back to Jesus to get filled up. Sometimes it's stress, and I'm so concerned with finances and tiredness or a busy schedule that I don't make time for Jesus. Sometimes it's pride that I would just rather solve my own problems. Sometimes it's a lack of trust. I don't believe that Jesus really cares about me or has compassion on me, like our first truth talked about. All of this, though, it can be solved in one idea. We believe that our satisfaction is on our shoulders, when in reality, Jesus shoulders the weight of all of our needs. If you have been coming to the block for any amount of time, you have probably heard that Jesus came to give us life and have it to the full. It's John 10.10. 10. If you haven't heard it, there it is, right there. So often, though, we think that Jesus promises that, but then I need to go out and I need to do something. Like, I need to go out and achieve, or I need to go out and accomplish or attain, then I can have fullness of life. I need to live my life the right way. I need to clean up my life. I need to do the right things, and I need to read my Bible enough, and I need to serve enough, and I need to impact enough people, and I need to share the gospel enough, and then I'll find life. Listen to this. Do not miss this. Jesus' command to the people was to sit down with him and eat their fill, and he would bring food to them. The disciples had to regularly return to Jesus. Y'all, if we are trying to live life out of our own strength and our own dime, we will burn out every single time. Solomon was the wisest man alive. He, he saw this truth, said this very thing in Psalm 127. He said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for the Lord gives to his beloved sleep. 
Y'all, do you feel like your weekends are full of the bread of anxious toil? We, we try to pack everything we can in. Man, I, I just got to hang out with this friend, and I got to do this thing, and I got to fit everything in to these two days so that I can find satisfaction. Do you ever feel like your work is the eating the bread of anxious toil? You're trying to work so hard and trying to do your own thing so you can build your own business and you can provide for yourself. You feel like you're eating anxious bread. Do you ever feel like your time reading the Bible is full of the bread of anxious toil? You sit down and you try to force yourself to learn something rather than sitting and asking Jesus to teach you every day. Do you ever feel like your Christian activities, going to church, going to a small group or community group, coming to the block, is full of the bread of anxious toil, rather than trusting that God is going to use these as ways to feed you? Solomon says it's pointless. It's vain. He says it would be better as if we'd never done it. There's no success there. But there is success in obeying Jesus' commands to sit and wait and ask him to provide what you need. And this takes humility and it takes dependence and it takes a focus on Jesus to provide our satisfaction. And y'all, it's at this point, if I can just be honest with you guys, when I'm here and I'm telling God, God, I know you want me to ask you to meet, your, meet my needs, and, but God, I'm just, I'm so stressed, and I'm overwhelmed, and I'm not satisfied. Most of the time when God says, Nick, come and sit and eat, my response is, God, I don't even know what I need right now. I don't even know what would make me full. And the crowds in the story, they feel this. Jesus gets away, and he walks on water, and we're actually going to talk about that next week. But the crowds, they're looking for him. They go after him because in their mind, what they need is their next meal. What they need is for Jesus to keep giving them bread. And they find Jesus and they ask him for this bread. And Jesus talks about bread that comes down from heaven. And they get excited because they remember back to manna, which is in the Old Testament. It's this bread that came down from heaven, which God used to feed the Israelites. And they get excited because they think, man, God is going to provide what I think I need. And they don't even know what they need. Because John 6, 34 They said to Jesus, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Y'all, when I am low, when I am running on empty, when I'm stressed and I don't know what my need is, and I go and I spend time with my king, I'm reminded that what I need is Jesus. And this brings us to the final truth. Jesus is our satisfaction. If you need rest, if you need abundant life, if you need stress relief, what you need is to go and experience the God who loves you and died for you. How do we know this? Because we see the opposite happen in the crowds. They get upset. They don't want Jesus They just want the physical stuff. They don't want Jesus' commands. They just want his blessings. They say, just keep doing more miracles. And they are far more concerned about what they get out of Jesus than getting to follow Jesus himself. And they see these 
12 leftover baskets of bread, and they think, man, this guy is something. Man, this guy, he can provide everything that I need. This guy's a prophet. He would make a great king. John says this in verse 15, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him a king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He sends the disciples away and he sends the crowds away. Jesus is not interested in gaining followers who only want him for this life. Jesus is not interested in building crowds who only want him for his stuff. Jesus is interested in satisfying us forever by taking away the punishment and the guilt of our sins and dying on the cross so that we could have the bread of life and live with him forever. If you are trying to live for Jesus, for what you gain in this life only, you will always be let down. But if you trust in Jesus for this life and for eternity, you will always be satisfied with Jesus no matter the circumstances no matter how empty or down you feel. And if you're wondering, Nick, I want that. Like, I I believe that, I want that, but I don't know how to get it. Jesus shows us the example. We withdraw. We get alone, away from phones, distractions, work, everything. We regularly withdraw, and we sit down, and we open up God's word, and we humble ourselves, And open up our hearts and we ask God to teach us. And we ask God to meet us there. And we remind ourselves we follow a God who understands our need and provides our satisfaction. And and y'all, this is such a challenge. Because if we've been feeding ourselves bread from this world, if we've been feeding ourselves the bread of anxious toil, it doesn't really seem like time alone with God is going to satisfy If I only feed myself fast food, if I only feed myself junk food, I don't really want to go eat healthy. But if I cultivate eating right, slowly what I begin to crave more than anything else is that which actually gives me life. The only reason why we don't believe this is true is because we're not developing a taste for it. Before yourself, before you leave tonight, before yourself, Before you leave tonight, ask yourself this. Do you have a taste for time with Jesus? Do you have a taste for that? Do I truly believe that he satisfies or am I eating the bread of anxious toil? Y'all, Jesus did not barely meet the needs of the crowd. He went above and beyond. There were 12 baskets left over. I promise you that if you get away and you withdraw with a humble heart to know God and you genuinely remove distractions, God will satisfy you abundantly with his presence. Every single time. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, no, 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 there are people that are relying on me. There are people that I need to go and I need to be serving and I need to be doing those things. Jesus had so much more left over that they could give to other people. We can never serve others out of a deficit. We can never live our lives out of a deficit. Jesus does not make deficits. Where will you go and where will you withdraw this week? Y'all, this world will not make this easy. You will have to be very, very intentional. Just like the crowds that Jesus fed, we have to let our hunger drive us. Every single time we feel that need to be satisfied, 
Every single time we feel like we're running on empty, we have to remind ourselves, withdraw regularly. Y'all, this, this is the practice of, of getting away to spend time with God and ask him for help and thank him and finding Jesus my satisfaction. That practice is one of the biggest sources of comfort and joy and peace in my life that I have ever found. That I have ever found. It is one of the biggest blessings to me. When I put away the phone and I just get out and I do it, and I don't always do it perfectly, and I don't always remember to do it, like we talked about. But my challenge to you, before the end of today, before you go to sleep tonight, plan time this weekend to withdraw and put it in your schedule and stick to it. And if someone says, hey, we're gonna go and do this thing, say, no, 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 I'm busy. If, if someone says, hey, I've got this opportunity, say, no, 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 that time is set apart. And go and withdraw and be with Jesus. Finally, each and every day of this week and each and every day of your life, consider this. If we need to be spiritually, or if we need to be physically fed every day, then we need to be spiritually fed by Jesus every day. We have to open up the Bible and ask God to feed us. And again, this takes humility and it takes dependence and it takes saying no to things. It takes saying no to fun things. It takes some work. But I promise if you do this, you will find regular satisfaction. But you need to go back every single day. And you need to go back and humbly ask God and say, God, I need you to show up right now. I need you to feed me. And my hope and my prayer for every single person in this room tonight, including myself, is that when you feel life closing in, when everything else is piling up around you, that you would remember that Jesus fed the crowds and it did not matter what they had. The crowds had nothing left. The crowds had nothing to bring but it mattered who Jesus is. Jesus understands your need to be satisfied. He has compassion on you so you can approach him. He's a good father. Jesus provides our satisfaction. We can regularly go and sit at his feet and be fed. And he is our satisfaction, so we have to withdraw. We have to get away, and we have to be satisfied in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... God, we need you. And God, if I'm honest, sometimes I don't know what this looks like. And God, even thinking about my weekend, I don't even know when I'm going to withdraw and spend time with you. But God, you promise that you help us in our weakness. And you promise that you pray for us when we don't know what to pray for. So God, I pray for every single man and woman in this room tonight. God, would you show us when we can withdraw? God, and maybe there's someone in the room tonight. God, I pray that if they don't know you, God, would they come to know you? God, would they come to understand that you died on the cross for their sin? Would they be convicted through your spirit? Not by the lives of other people, not by other things, but through your spirit. And they would genuinely repent from sin and turn and trust in you. And trust that you provide eternal life and you are the bread of life. God, for those of us in this room who have decided to follow you God would you remind us that we need you every single day God would you please remind me that I need you every single day and God would we always remember that you can feed the crowds and you can feed us and you're a loving God and your commands are good and they're not burdensome and God I just pray that in a world God, where we are always 
encouraged to speed up and consume and enjoy and do? Would we come and would we sit and would we listen and be fed by a God who loves us? We need you to make this happen, God. We have no one else but you. In Jesus' name I pray.